This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. Rav Shmuel HaLevi Vazner was born in Vienna in 1914. He learned in various yeshivas in Europe and eventually came to the yeshiva in Lublin, the famous yeshiva of Rav Meir Shapiro, Yeshivat Chachmei Lublin. The standards of acceptance that yeshiva were unusually high. Of course, every student met those standards, but Rav Vazner was noted for the fact that he became particularly close to the Rosh Hashiva, Rav Meir Shapira. When Rav Vazner was 25 years old, in 1939, he came to live in Eretz Yisrael. For a while, quite a few years, he was considered the Moreho Ra'ah, the Poseik in Givat Shaul. In 1954, the Chazonish recommended that he be appointed the Rav of the area of Bnei Brak, known as Zichron Meir. Interestingly enough, of course, Zichron Meir is named for Rav Meir Shapira, who was the Rav and very closely attached to Rav Vazner. In Bnei Brak, Rav Vazner has become the Rosh Hashiva, established and became the Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva of Chachmei Lublin. But more than that, he's considered the Poseik, at least one of the greatest Poskim in the Haredi world. In Bnei Brak, Rav Asner's Psakim were widely accepted. Let's remember that he was recommended by the Chazonish. Today, we have a ten-volume set of Chuvos of Rav Asner, known as Shevet Halevi. One of the the tenth volume, the last volume in the set that I saw, is actually a complete volume, just dealing with the indices of all the chuvas. In each volume of chuva, in each volume, there's more than uh, oh, there are almost two hundred chuvas in every volume. So we're talking about thousands of chuvas that we have printed by the Shevet Halevi. Another sefer of his that's extremely important has become very. Uh, well-known uh, specifically for people studying Horah, the Psak, or his Shiurim on Hilchas Nida. Shiurei Shevet Halevi on Hilchas Nida. We will discuss some of the Tshuvos of Rav Vazner. Part of the reason that I chose them, these particular Tshuvos, were to show a certain attitude that I feel is suggestive of Bnei Brak. On the other hand, there are kulos as well as chumros in his psakim. The areas that first few areas I'm going to discuss are issues to deal with women. In the in in Chelik Aleph of Shevet Alevi, Tshuva Siman Lamed Hey, Rav Vasnu has a discussion about making a bracha when you see a queen. Now, we know that the Gemara says when you see a non-Jewish king, you make a bracha, Shecholak 
mikvodo lebasav adam. We once saw already that the Rambam's text is a little different. Shenatan mikvodo lebnei adam. Shenatan mikvodo shechalak mikvodo. Whatever the exact text is, do you make this bracha on a queen as well? I would assume that since the question was asked, seems to be halach lamasa, they're probably referring to a British subject or someone who is in England and sees the Queen of England. Should he make the bracha? Rav Vazner's answer, it's obvious to me that there's no distinction between men and women. The bracha on a king could be made on a queen. In fact, he points out, you might discuss the issue of looking at her, but we know that Rav Sheshes made a bracha when the king was present, even though Rav Sheshes was blind and didn't see the king, but he was told the king was there. Somehow, if you get a glance at the queen without getting into the issues of, of looking at, the, at a woman, he said that would not be a, a problem, and he felt there's no Easter of looking at a woman in such a case. Now, the only argument that you can make about the, specifically the Queen of England is to discuss partly a political issue in England and a halachic issue as well. Is the definition of a king and queen to be determined by those that have powers of over life and death? For example, in America, I'm more aware of the situation that clemency can be granted by certain people. But orders to be killed cannot be given. Legal orders, at least, to be killed cannot be done uh, only by courts. Assuming that this is true, do the does the Queen of England have the power to of clemency? Does she have the power of ordering people to their death? Assuming she does not have such a power, would you make a bracha on a queen who lacks such a power? Rav Vazner claims that anyone who has that power would, anyone who has the power, whether they be the king or not, would be fitting to make the bracha on him. Because the bracha is made on someone who has that power. But, if someone has a position of ki- of authority of kingdom, even though they do not have this power, but they are the unique individuals of the of the realm. They themselves are the greatness of the kingdom. He felt that certainly you could make the bracha on the queen in such a case. In certain issues of involving women. Rav Vazner seems to be extremely machmer. For example, in Chelek Dalit of Shevet Halevi, the very first tshuva discusses very briefly the issue of women drivers. And Rav Vazner said his experience has taught him that this is something that should be an Easter Gomorrah. Because he said studying driving, learning how to drive itself is the opposite of the concept of Tznius. And driving itself is the, op- is the op- opposite of Tznius. 
Now he quotes a Gemara that ain't da isha bemerkav. It's not the way of women to go on a rechev. But of course the Gemara is referring to rechev on an animal, which in certain times, certain places, really might be considered a lack of tznius. But Ravazne said, nevertheless, even though he's aware that you could make such a distinction, he thinks that it still should be usher. And then in a in a an aside which one could really discuss at length, Rav Vazne says, Vilibi Omeli. My heart tells me, I have an instinct, I have a feeling that the reason there are so many car accidents today in Eretz Yisrael is because of the lack of the tznius that I see in women's driving. Now, I really don't know what the situation is in Bnei Brak, but I know that the entire world today of uh, women, even in the Haredi circles that I'm familiar with in America, have not at all accepted this psak of Rav Asner. And we should be more specific that really he didn't say that it's Asr, he just uses the words Shera'ui la'asro isur gamur. Really, we should place such an Isr on it. He didn't actually say that it is Asr. However, other issues of women, he was more machmir. In Chelek Gimel, Simen Yudalid, the question was asked whether a woman could make a speech in public. Now, today, of course, this is a very uh, burning issue in many communities. Specifically, some women who were appointed or became involved in communities in America would like to speak on Shabbos or if the community wants them to speak on Shabbos. And the question was asked from Brooklyn, or actually the discussion was raised in Brooklyn by the Tishanover Rebbe, Rav Shalom Yechezkel Shraga Rubin Halberstam, who wrote to Rav Vazner, or actually Rav Vazner wrote back to him, about allowing a woman to make a speech in public. Now, the Tzishin of Rebbe, who had written about this, wrote that it was forbidden. And Rav Vazner said, I certainly agree that you are right, that Kol Isha Erva, and therefore this would apply to making a speech too. Now, he does discuss the distinction between women's speech in what we would call regular prose or a woman singing a song. But nevertheless, he said, a speech is considered um, a, a type of kolisha that would be forbidden because she'll modulate her, her, her voice, she'll adjust her voice in order to uh, make the people feel better, and therefore he felt that it really should be usher. He also discusses that, of course, singing Zmiris would be certainly improper. And he said that the only thing he could permit 
is when not in a woman is in a good, happy mood where she might have a happy, lilting t- tone of voice, but when she's sad, sad, unhappy, then he felt you could allow her to speak. And, and Rav Vazni said that this is uh, not a subject that can be elaborated upon because it's obvious and this is true and the opinion of the Rav who wrote to him is certainly correct. It is usher, no hatarim at all, for a woman to speak in public. Another area where he discussed issues of women were a question that has been raised in many places today about if is it appropriate for a woman to see a gynecologist, a man gynecologist, a male gynecologist. Would that be permitted? Now, Today, the option is growing larger and larger. Greater amount of women are today involved in medicine. And perhaps it's easier today to be, to arrange uh, a visit to a female gynecologist. But the question was asked, are you allowed to go to a uh, gynecologist and the assumption of the question was that there are many cases where women go for regular checkups which might not be necessary, uh, strictly speaking, according to medical reasons, but they're what you call regular checkups. And Rav Vasner said that he has already discussed this and he mentioned the fact that many women have gone to gynecologists when it was not necessary, and, and, and there were many isurim caused by that, and he felt that this is not proper to visit a gynecologist. Now, he also said that he really feels, he generally feels that most women who do go to male gynecologists are women who really do not uh, care that much about tznius. Of course, when he discusses the issue, he's relating to a Haredi woman and asking her if she could go when necessary to this male gynecologist. But the assumption is that many women who go, go when they do not need to, when it's not that necessary. And there are women who don't care that much, much about tznius. And therefore, Rav Vasner basically thinks that this is a situation that should be avoided at all costs. When I say all costs, chas v'shalom, I don't mean to imply that if there's a danger or some important medical reason, Rav Vazner would not allow a woman to see a gynecologist. However, in an interesting list, Rav, Rav Vazner gives a number of pieces of advice that he would like to give to women about sneers when they go to the doctors. And he gives a list of ten statements, and he actually calls it Aseres Hadibros Be'inyan Hanogas Sneus Shebalichat Nashim Lerofim. Aseres Hadibros is literally translated as the Ten Commandments. I just don't think he really means this as like the Ten Commandments. He means ten statements about observing sneers when women go to doctors. The first one is, you shouldn't do it. At least, not overly do it. Because there are many, many problems. 
But point number two, if you really need to go to a psychologist, you should at all costs try to go to a woman. If it is absolutely necessary, there's no availability of a woman doctor, and the doctor is a better, the male doctor is a better doctor, is a good doctor. So he doesn't even say that it's mutter. He writes, I don't find it possible to say it's usher when it's necessary. However, one of the statements is you should be careful to visit, to see the, a doctor who is not known for illicit behavior. You should only go in regular visiting hours and you should always have somebody with you. Now, it is customary, I think, in the Haredi world for someone to accompany a woman when she sees a doctor because of issues of yichut. Now, it seems to me, although I personally do not have that much experience with the Haredi world, they generally, women who go to doctors, very often want their husbands to go with them to protect them from the Isra of Yichud. But in this particular case, Rav Vazna suggests that a woman accompany her to the gynecologist. And his reason is based on his assumption that many of the women who go to see male gynecologists are really not observant or not that careful of the laws of Sneas. And therefore, he feels that when the woman, the wife, enters the office of the the doctor, the man is going to be left alone in the waiting room with women who are waiting their time, their appointments. And those women, remember, we thought are basically women who are not careful of tzniyas. So there might be a problem of yichud in the waiting room. Some of the psakim of Ravazner, of course, will find kulos in them as well. In the volume that I have already referred to, the tshuva that referred to women driving in Chelek Dalit, Simon Aleph, Ravazner has a tshuva that was the same issue of that um, Rav uh, Moshe Feinstein had also discussed. And the question was about savings programs, insurance programs. Would a person be allowed to invest in insurance programs or should he have bitachon? Should he rely on a Kaddish Baruch Hu that will take care of him? Now, insurance agents for years have known the tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein where he felt strongly that a person should prepare for the future. You don't rely on miracles. Although we have emuna and bitachon, but we still do what the yeshiva world called hishtadlus. We try our best to make sure that we're not going to be a burden on society and we can prepare for the future. And therefore, I knew in America insurance agents who used to walk around with the tshuva of Rav Moshe and they wanted to show people that Rav Moshe thought it would be a good idea. Rav Vazner, in the tshuva, in this volume, doesn't quote other poskim, but he just says it's simple. 
that in such a case, there's no problem of bitachan emuna. It's obvious anything within the natural course of the world, like old age, his children are going to get married, and the person can't have, you know, from one day to the next, all he needs for, let's say, uh, to marry off a child or to prepare for, for retirement. Therefore, he should not rely on just on bitachon, although he says, you know, if there is such a person who does rely on it, maybe for him it would be a, a special zchus. However, he said, for normal people, most people who have not reached that level of emuna, they should live what we would consider a normal life. And therefore, a person should have the savings programs, have insurance pro- pro- programs. And he claimed, then he did say, I think I saw such a statement in the, uh, in the Tzavva of the son of the Shaloh HaKadosh, the Vavayu HaMudim, who also would recommend such practice. Another kula that I found interesting in the Chuvas of Rav Asner was a case where a person, a Rav, forgot to count Sviyasa Omer one night. Now, we all know that there is a big machlokas. If a person counts Sviyasa Omer, if forgot to count one night Sviyasa Omer, can he continue the next night with a bracha? Tosfus and Menachos quotes a source that says you cannot make a bracha, since the concept of tmimos, according to one opinion, was affected by the fact that you left out one day, you cannot make a bracha from then on. Tosfus in Menachos says, Tema Gedola, this is a very astonishing opinion, Tosfus totally rejected that opinion. Nevertheless, Klal Yisrael has accepted the psak that if a person has skipped a complete day of Sviyas Omer, we continue counting without a bracha. Here the question was asked about a rav in a shul whose custom is to count out loud every night. And he is the person that after Shmon Esrei actually says the bracha out loud, so it counts the day out loud, and then the people count to themselves. Here, the rav would have to stop doing this practice it would be obvious to everyone that the Rav stopped this practice because he forgot a day. It would be a great embarrassment in terms of the personal life of this Rav. There's also the, as an element of Kavadatara in general. The people talk, even the Rav forgot, and they'll talk about Kavadatara. It's going to be a, a big disgrace for him. Rav Vazner paskind that in such a case, we can rely on the Rishonim that you can count every day, even if you skipped without one day with and did not count Sira, you can continue with a bracha. He said, in fact, he has a tradition that there were poskim that did this. So he said, I wouldn't rely on this on a normal situation. But here, because there's a Kavrat involved, there's Kavod involved, and there's also an element of Kavod 
then I think you can rely on that opinion. Other Palskim have raised a similar question, and one of the um, suggestions that has been made in such a situation would be to have the Rav tell one person, and it need only be one person, that he forgot to make the to count Sviyas Omer, and therefore there's a problem if he could make the bracha that night. So he would ask the person in shul, I'd like to make the bracha to be motzi you. Now this would also involve the question, could a person who does not make a bracha, normally, could he make a bracha and count for someone else? There's a complicated issue in that question as well. But here, there would be another sniff, another additional reason to be mekil. Perhaps the halacha is that you can skip a day and still count with a bracha. Perhaps the halacha is that you can be motzi somebody else with sviyasa omer with the bracha and the counting, even though the, even if there would be a case where you forgot to count and you're, you cannot make a bracha, perhaps you could make the bracha and be motzi somebody else with sviyasa omer. I don't know halacha lemaise what rabbanim rely on, but occasionally it happens that a baltfila, it's not usually the same baltfila every night, but let's say a baltfila gets up to that marav and in a community where the rav does not count sviyas omer, so usually the baltfila will count, make the brachan count. If he forgot, he'll ask the rav. I wonder if Rav Aznan would say the same thing if it would just be the baltfila. It is a little bit of a, a, a shame for a baltfila. It's true, it's not the same kavadat taira, it's not the kavadat harav, it's not the kavadat sibur, perhaps in the same way, but there is a feeling of disgrace of this individual person who has to admit publicly that I have forgotten to cancel Yasoma. I wonder if Ravazna would say the same psak in such a case. The other uh, suggestion that I had made before would probably be made in any case. One of the important questions of the 20th century in general was raised by Rav Asner in Chelek Dalid, Simen Kuf Samech Beis. The question was how to relate to the Baal movement, to the Baal Tshuva movement, specifically in the areas of Shiduchim. When we talk about a Shidduch, of a Baal So, one of the assumptions is that the Baal is was born to parents who did not keep Hilchas Nida. And the question was asked, Lechatchila, should we marry someone who's a child of such a union? Rav Asner wrote a fairly short tshuva about this, and he discusses, of course, there's no Easter per se. There is definitely no Easter. There is what's called a Pagam to marry someone who's a Benida. And he discusses the concept of what the Pagam means. He brings a few uh, different opinions. And then he says, you know, since there are different opinions, who am I to decide? What's our my right, our right to decide in such an issue. However, he saw a quotes from the writings of the Ari. 
the Kisvei Ari, where the Ari said that let's look what it means to be a tzaddik, the son of a Russia. Look at let's look at the first one that we are aware of, Avram Avinu. A pure person emerges from an impure person. Obviously, Tarach didn't keep the laws of Nida. I'm not going to discuss now the issue in general whether the, how the others kept the Torah. But Tarach certainly did not keep the laws of Nida. And then it says in the Kisve Ari, not only is such a case the person somehow fixed himself, he fixes his relatives as well. And we know in general in Jewish history how many tzaddikim have been the children of non-Jews or people who are children of Rishayim. Therefore, it's certainly something even if we would consider it a pagam, it's something that can and should be corrected by Bali Tshuva. He said, I can't, you know, really pass the halacha based on Kabbalistic sources, but since there's no halachic uh, source explicitly to the contrary, I would rely on this, on the, on the, on the words of the Ari. And therefore, I can't totally ignore the fact that there is a pagam, and if someone came to discuss it with me, I would not hide this from him. But permission is given to tell them, you should know that if you're oblivious, the shidduch has a tremendous chance of success. You'll, you will be, fulfill the concept of miyitain mitar mitame, and you'll fulfill this, this pagam, and we should not close the doors for those people who wish to do tshuva. Very, very briefly, I'd like to mention a question that Rav Vazner raised only because of my personal uh, interest in this tshuva. Rav Vazner was asked about a person who d- davens Shmon Esrei out loud. He's davening what we would call the Shtil Shmon Esrei, a silent Shmon Esrei. But he pronounces the words out loud. And the question would be, if someone heard him, should he say Amen to the Bracha? The reason I found this question for the first time in a tshuva, and I found it interesting, is because students of Morenu Rabbeinu, Harav Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, were very familiar with the fact that the Rav Davin Shmon very much out loud. In fact, sometimes students would listen carefully to try to understand the variant text. The Rav somehow had sometimes had his own ideas of uh, or he based on sources, of course, to of uh, the exact text of Shmon and people almost tried to listen to the Rav's Shmon which was, as I said, uh, pretty much out loud. I was told I was not present, but someone told me that they had asked the Rav if they should answer Amen in such a situation. Rav Salavechik answered that he does not think you should answer Amen. That is a story that I heard. The tshuva is found in Shevet HaLevi, in Chelek Gimel, Simit Hasvav, where Avazner said, basically, that you do not say Amen. He said, because, although the Rambam says, when you hear a bracha, you should say Amen, that is not referring to Tfilah Balachash. 
the concept of Tfila Belachash means that you should answer you should answer a bracha that's supposed to be made out loud, but not a bracha that's made quietly. And therefore, in one short sentence, he says, "Ladidi pashuta in lanot." And then he went go on goes on to explain why there's a place to discuss it, why there's a place where you could raise the argument. But the bottom line is, he said, "You do not answer shmanesrei the brachas and shmanesrei in such a case." Which, as I said, it was the psak that I heard in the name of Rav Salavechik himself.